Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello and welcome. I'm Jaquel Lane, your hostess of Education with an Edge, the podcast dedicated to all things children because we know that every child matters and you should too. I am beyond honored to have my very good friend Marissa Hatab on the program with me today. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) We are so happy that you're here. Um, I just have to take a moment and brag on Marissa a little bit. Um, So I'm going to read her biography here. So Marissa Hatab is passionate about mentorship, survivor, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She serves as the Douglas County Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. She is intentional about ensuring all people are treated with dignity, respect, and acceptance and are not merely tolerated but fully embraced. She believes mentorship can open doors of opportunities to help young and older adults thrive and succeed. As a survivor herself of domestic violence, she uses her DEI and mentorship lens to help survivors stand in their power, take ownership of their stories, and leverage their experiences to change lives. She is a fierce advocate by setting as the board chair for a nonprofit called Survivors Rising, which is a post-crisis resource center for survivors rebuilding their lives. And she is also the board chairman for another nonprofit named Smile Bags, which focuses on equipping mothers and youth with the tools to stand in their power and build healthy, thriving families and communities. Marissa believes that people deserve to live their best lives and should have equitable opportunities to succeed and to be free. And I've got to tell you, Marissa, when I read that, like, I just got chills. Mm. Like, I have seen you speak so many times. You're such an inspiration to me and so many others, but I can't wait for you to share your story with, like, young people all across the world. So thank you. Yes, thank you for giving me this opportunity. (laughs) Absolute, absolute chills. Um, So I think it's great, um, just to kind of start at the beginning and then work our way to the present day. So um, I've had the opportunity to meet your beautiful mother and she's phenomenal. But um, I think it's essential to understand your remarkable story. So can you just tell us um, what was your upbringing in childhood like? Sure. So um, we're currently in Omaha, Nebraska, but I am not from Nebraska. I am from a small town called Troy, Ohio, um, where I was born and raised from the time I came out of my mother's womb to I was when I was 18 and then I moved to Dayton, Ohio. But my upbringing was um, it was a very healthy, clean, um, peaceful community. So I'm very grateful for that aspect. I mean, I have fond memories of riding my bicycle to uh, Penny's candy store. So literally everything (laughs) in there was a penny. So if you had a dollar, you felt rich. You're like, I'm getting a hundred pieces of candy. Amen. And um, I I mean, just such beautiful memories of just growing up and not having to question my safety. But at the same token, it was a predominantly white community. And so I was really used to being the only black girl in my classrooms or on sports, um, clubs, whatever it was, I was used to being the only. And so that really did impact my self-perception and my worth. And so, um, like I said, I am very grateful for the safety of it. But as far as me growing up, trying to just have significant worth um, and having a solid foundation of who I was that was there for my family but there were a lot of outside societal 
perceptions that really impacted my own internal perception of myself. And it really did impact um, some of the decisions that came after, like how I found myself being a now domestic violence survivor. And I never thought that would have been a part of my story, but um, because I I had such a limited and ignorant scope of who I perceived to be a survivor. I thought it would be meek women who um, would be quiet and walk on eggshells. And, and don't get me wrong, I did. There were seasons where I did walk on eggshells, but I've always been a very um, opinionated, You're a strong, strong woman. person. Yeah, right, you're a strong right. woman. Right. And so I used to judge women. I, I remember I would watch Lifetime videos and I would scream at my TV like, just leave. Why are you dealing with this? And um, I literally never thought I would have wound up in a similar situation. Um, but uh but my upbringing and there were also some other things tied to trauma from religion and um, that really impacted me, you know, ending up with who I did at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was young. I was, I was 19 when I met my ex-husband and, um, he was 23. He was young as well. We Mm -hmm. were both in the church. Mm -hmm. I was a singer. He was a youth minister. And I I just thought, Oh, we'll be the dynamic duo. And you know, all of those things. And, um, and because of many different, layers of my story that we do not have the time for me to get into. Um, I will do a part two. Right. right. And it would need to be all on church trauma. Okay. Anyways. um, But I was young. We ended up getting married when I was 20 and I was pregnant. And um, that's when the physical abuse started when I was five months pregnant. And um, but thankfully, you know, to be honest, I left when my daughter was six weeks old and I never went back. And so um, I did the work. I went into counseling. I went to support groups um, and I really learned uh, who I was and what led me to even being in a situation like that and then did the work I needed to do to heal even though it's a journey, it's not a destination. And so, um, that's when I was able to eventually use my story to step into a position of advocating for other survivors and, and why I'm so passionate about serving on survivors rising board. And, and then as far as my involvement with smile bags, I mean, that's associated, that's tied to my story as well, because it was my mom's dream that I'm just partnering with because I believe in my mom's dream and it's all around empowering mothers, specifically yes. single mothers, um, who then can empower their children who can then, you know, have tools to really create healthy families and communities. And I'm really passionate about that too. And so that's where kind of my mentorship lens comes in and and um, just running, wanting to pour into people. And and as far as DEI, I'm sure we'll get into that, but that's kind of been the common thread that's linked, you know, my childhood to where I am now. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a taste of my story. We would need 33 whole years to, you know, unpack to all of unpack it. unpack all of it. We got time. We can do like a part one, two, three. Okay. Um, it'll be great. Um, yeah, and, and we mentioned, you know, you are so passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I... Of course, because I'm so fortunate to be your friend, know about your journey. But can you tell us a little bit about like your career and why diversity, equity, inclusion is so important like to you? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you and I, we share similarities, right? Yes. Both of our degrees and our backgrounds are educators. Yes. And so, um, growing up, uh, I, I had a very limited perception around what were options, career options yeah. for me. And I had a really amazing teacher, and I'm probably reading ahead, but his name no. was Mr. Carnum. We called him Mr. K. Yay. And um, he made learning so fun. And so, I bring him up because from the time I was in second grade, I knew knew I wanted to be a teacher. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a teacher. And, um, that impacted my high school year. I did a teacher's Academy, which was kind of a vocational approach where half my day I was able to do internships in different classrooms. And, um, and then I eventually, of course, even like after I left my ex-husband, I went back to college and I finished my degree in, in education. And so, um, when I look at kind of the common thread, although I'm not a a formal educator, I'm still an educator through training and yes. facilitation and those things. Um, when I looked at the common threads from the time I was a young girl into who I am now, diversity, equity, and inclusion has kind of been that foundation. I went to a uh, an event here recently and her name, uh, the speaker was Teron Burke and she is the founder of me too. Mm -hmm. And she was sharing about how the work, she didn't choose the work. The work chose her. And after we left the event, my mom looked at me and she was like, you know, Marissa, that's, that's the same to you. She's like, this work isn't something you chose. This work is who you are. It Mm -hmm. chose you. She's like, from the time you were a very young girl, Marissa, until now you have been aware of your blackness you've been aware of societal inequities and you've spoken about them you've been aware of feeling excluded so you've always worked to include people and so the risk as far as like leaving the education profession here um because nebraska made it impossible to get my degree that's why i left um to now being the diversity equity inclusion officer of douglas county and in my previous role um before this i was in the nonprofit sector in a mentorship role and when i look at the common threads from the time i was a young girl to even um attending wright state university in dayton ohio to now diversity equity inclusion has been the common threads and so when i was in college Although my university was very diverse, it was. The College of Education was not. not. I didn't have a single um, professor that was a person of color. Um, All the way until my senior year in one of our, like, it was literally the last semester of my senior year, I I had a class for the first time where there were four African-American women, me being one of them. And we ended up working on a project together. And in that project, we started having sharing stories about what it was like to be the only person of color in our classrooms and how we were treated by our classmates and our professors. And people were crying and just sharing these really heavy stories and me being me I'm like oh heck no like I had mine too but I'm like we're not going to just stay here and cry Mm-mm. Mm-mm. we're doing something yes. so I gathered our dean professors staff and other students and it led to them developing a um an equity council I don't remember exactly what it's called but it was focused on cultural equity mm-hmm. and got grant funding and then Um, I actually just touched base with my professor, one of my professors last year, and they have this whole racial equity council now. And and so I'll be working with her. And so that's just kind of a, a random story. But again, 
I was in college and found myself doing DEI work. The work found you. Yeah. So, so it was kind of, even though there's risk of leaving the education profession to now where I am, DEI has been that common thread. Yes. And so it was an easy risk to take. And, um, and so that those are just some of the ways I've been able to integrate it throughout my journey. Absolutely. And I love to, I know that you have a ton of stories about when you, um, taught at remind me of the school that you taught at. the Omaha street school yes the Omaha street school and you really advocated for those kids can you just like tell us a little bit about that like yeah. what you saw oh yes well I taught at the Omaha street school just shy of two years and um for those who don't know which I'm assuming a lot of folks don't, don't. it is a faith-based alternative private school yes. and so um a lot of our students and, and still to this day, a lot of the students that find their way to the Omaha Street School is um, not just tied to behavioral um, behavioral issues in their previous roles, but sometimes traditional school settings just didn't work for them. Absolutely. So some of the students struggled with anxiety, mm-hmm. being in large classroom sizes. <clears throat> um, some of our students, they had to work to provide for their family because of poverty. And the traditional school setting just didn't work for them because they were working and having to take care of their siblings. And um, and so the, the students were, they came with their own, well, I'll backtrack. None of them had a one-size-fits-all approach mm-hmm. to what type of education they needed to succeed. And so because we had smaller numbers, we were able to work really closely, not just with the students, but their families. Which is so important. It's so important. And a lot of times the families had this historical mistrust in educators yes. and the education system. And so in order for us to really have effective communication and trust and um, the ability to really empower and equip the students, we had to literally deal with the whole student, which means their whole family. Yes. Um, it was powerful, but it was there where I was able to see um, firsthand um, so many of the layered societal inequities that impacted how they showed up or why they struggled to show up before. And, um, and, and I loved it because, because I was at the alternative school, I wasn't, I didn't have the, the barriers or the strict, uh, redlining, Mm -hmm. if we call Mm -hmm. of, um, the state mandates and standards and expectations. So I had more freedom to be able to teach my students in ways that were applicable to them. For example, and I had a student bring this up to me recently. They're like, Miss C, because my previous last name started with a C. Miss C, do you remember when you had us write a research paper on the NBA Young Boys, one of his songs? So I was able to like pull out like poetry and music that was relevant to to them. But then show them how to create a research paper based on dissecting the lyrics and what they perceive the lyrics to mean and have to get evidence to prove it. And and so they were still learning these really important things tied to yes. language arts. But it was in a, fun yes. and it was relatable to them. Yes. Yeah. So those were, you know, some of the things that I did there. But I still have really good relationships with my students. I love that. Yeah. I um I am going to give you, I was actually going to wait till the end, but I am going to give you a, a plug just for our listeners. I've heard you speak and watched you speak. I've, I've seen you 
as a, a panelist, as as someone that is kind of, um, you know, a keynote speaker. And if, if you are out there and you're looking for someone in the DEI space to come and speak to your organization or to your school, Marissa Hatab is your woman. I just mm, am so blown you. away by you. You're such a natural storyteller and your experience truly lights the way um, to show others like, you know, where, where we need to go in this space. And so I really thank you for that. Thank so, you for that. Yeah. I'm a natural storyteller. <laughs> I'm going to get a sign and hang it on my wall. Okay. Jackie says I'm a natural <laughs> you storyteller. Are, you are. I mean, I, I mean, seriously amazing. And so, um, I mean, I'm sure your students, of course, like just adored you. So um, mm, that's awesome. You. You're welcome. Um, so you are an integral part of two nonprofits. We talked about one of them. We, we talked about them briefly, but um, Smile Bags and Survivors Rising. So can you tell us um, a little bit more about these organizations and why they're so important to you? Absolutely. Thank you. So Survivors Rising, I've been a part of the organization probably for three to four years. Um, before I stepped in a part, um, as a board member, and now I'm a co-chair, um, I was a part of their Speakers Bureau. And so essentially they had a program where survivors could go to learn how to utilize their stories mm-hmm. to empower other folks. And so um, years ago, someone from the organization approached me and just started to ask me if I'd be willing to go through to different audiences and share my story with a trauma informed lens because nice. sometimes trauma uh sometimes survivors um don't understand that trauma informed way to share their story and they mm-hmm. re traumatize themselves and others. So Survivors Rising is really uh strong about telling our stories in a way that's empowering um and doesn't limit us only to our story and also doesn't bring up all the pain that mm-hmm. we're left to kind of sit in for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually I, I transitioned in as board chair, I mean, as a board member and now the co-chair and, um, survivors rising is a post crisis. So it's not when you're in the middle of it, it's a post crisis nonprofit that is essentially a resource hub to provide support to survivors through the advocacy, um, through healing spaces and through empowering them. And so, that's what I do there. I help lead that um, organization. As far as Smile Bags, um, we shared a little bit about that. Smile Bags, although um, it wasn't until 2019 that we became a 501c3, um, it founded in 2016, and it was tied to my mother's dream, which was she was seeing all of her grandkids and some of her great nieces and nephews, and she just felt like they had a bit of a sprinkle of entitlement, okay? I'm sure we can relate to <laughs> that sprinkle. a bit. A little sprinkle of entitlement, a little a little spoiled, and she wanted to teach them the power of giving back, and so that's where Smile Bags came from. She started creating these affirmation bags that had little trinkets in it that sent, like, encouraging messages and were meant to put a smile on people's faces and it was for the average Joes of the world it Mm -hmm. wasn't for those who were affluent it wasn't for those who were impoverished it was for everyone everybody and it was to teach youth um, how to give back and to be empowered with self-confidence because it takes a lot of confidence to walk up to a stranger and talk to them. And um, that's where Smile Bag started. And so over the years, though, the vision has grown. And we realized, okay, yes, we want to empower and equip youth because they're our future, our future mm-hmm. leaders, they're leaders now. 
but we realized, oh, there's a there's a missing piece here. Like, mm-hmm. how can we really effectively empower our youth if we don't empower the family? And so okay. that's where mothers, a lot of them had single mothers. And so that's where kind of the mother concept came in, where we, we were like, we need to equip mothers um, with the tools to be successful. And that comes from, um, like leadership opportunities um also creating space for moms to be present with their kids to play like to literally have joy yes with their kids and we really are like by us pouring into moms and and children we feel like it'll really really impact healthy families and communities and so um our vision has expanded like i shared within the last year we have a really solid board (laughs) wink wink some amazing members Wink, wink. And um, I'm really excited about the work that um, we're doing for our community here in Omaha. And it's still going on in Ohio as well, where it started. Wonderful. And I love I love that approach because the first time that you and I talked about smile bags, it was like the serving the holistic um, family unit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like serving, serving everyone and and assisting because not everyone, not every mother has those mentors and that that is learned, you know, so, um, such amazing, amazing work that you're doing. Um, which brings me to my my next question. You are on the move. And I always like to ask this question to super successful and and also very busy women like yourself, (laughs) um, because you're an amazing wife, you're an amazing mother. Like what are some of your favorite ways to incorporate a balanced life into your daily routine? Like, do you do mindfulness? Do you meditate? Like, like what, what are some of the ways or, or what are some of the suggestions you have like for the rest of us, like out here <laughs> trying to keep it together? You feel me? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. Okay. I'm out here doing the most truthfully. Um, t- honestly, I've been these last couple of days in full transparency. Um, I know like, these, I don't know if I said last couple of days, but it's really been last couple of weeks. I have really been looking like internally and having hard conversations with myself mm-hmm. around what self-care has oh, yeah. been or the lack thereof. And yesterday um, I was at this meeting and I'm trying to remember exactly how Larissa, her name's Larissa Jordan. I'm trying to remember exactly how she said it, but essentially she was speaking to, we we deserve to live like our best lives and um, we deserve to get our best and not what's left. Oh wow. And I feel like, yeah, like I deserve my best. That hits hard, right? Yeah. That hits hard. Cause I, I feel like I give my best to to, everybody else. Yes. And that literally I've been, I leave myself with what's left, Mm -hmm. which is typically not much. (laughs) Right. Which is nothing. Right. By the end of the week. (laughs) It's I'm depleted. I'm wore out. I'm like, I don't have the mental capacity to Mm -hmm. figure out how to get my health in check because I've given everything out. My cup has run out. Mm -hmm. And so there's been these different confirmations that God has sent me these last couple of weeks where I'm like, wow, I have not been loving myself well at all. Um, and so I say all of that to say I was doing things such as once a month I got a facial, which yeah. I'm still going to do because it Good. blesses me. Okay. As you should, as you should. Girl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
this year my husband and I are going on a trip to Jamaica Wonderful. in a couple months well next month because it's now November um, which will be the first trip we've gone without kids in nice. seven and a half years so I'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. um, but so I was doing kind of now I don't want to make it seem like a facial is superficial but I wasn't even doing those things for myself so I feel like I needed to take baby steps but now I'm transitioning into a phase where I'm like I need to be present within myself Mm -hmm. I need to give more than what's left Mm -hmm. I need to get my physical body healthy Mm -hmm. and so now I'm going to have to be strategic with my nose like really figuring out what do I have the capacity to do and what's the cost of my yes? Because sometimes oh, we wow. say yes, yes, and there's oh, a yeah. cost that comes with it. And my cost has been my being. And if I'm sick and have diabetes or whatever mm-hmm. it is, because yeah. I'm pre, I found I'm pre-diabetic. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to live my best life. No. And I feel that everyone deserves their live their best, best life, life right? That's in my They're bio. <laughs> so I need to live my best life. <laughs> So truthfully, I'm really having to like shift my mentality away from giving myself what's left and giving myself what's best. And I've got to figure out what that really means. So I'm I'm figuring it out. I'm a work in progress. But I think the first step is acknowledgement. So I'm acknowledging it. Yes. So, yeah. The thing that I love about you, Marissa, and why people gravitate to you is because you are so authentic. And so, like, some people would answer that question and say, oh, well, I do yoga (laughs) in the morning and I read. And it's like, you're, we're all, like, on a journey, right? And so I love what you said. It's like, I can't pour into anyone else unless I pour into myself first. So that's just such a good reminder for young people, for everybody, um, to take that self-care in that time. It doesn't mean you can't be a giver. You can give, give, right. give, give, give. But at the end of the day, if you don't put your, if you don't put your mask on first, right? Literally. You're not going to be able to save anybody else. Literally. So, yeah. Yes. If you've never been on a plane, that's what they, <laughs> that's say, what to they say to you. They say, put your mask on first before you put it on your kids or someone or else. Or someone else. Yes. 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 So thank you. Um, This is a tough question, but since this podcast is dedicated to youth and mental health awareness, what would you say to encourage a young person in today's society struggling with mental health issues? Mm. I know. And we've seen an uptick, right? We've seen an uptick in this since COVID. This continues to be kind of a topic of discussion. So, Yeah. I would like to say there's nothing wrong with you. Yes. You know, so many of us, myself included, I feel like we need to rip the Band-Aid off Mm -hmm. and remove the stigma around mental health. Because the truth of the matter is all of us have mental health issues. Because, I mean, when I was in my crisis around um, when I was leaving my ex-husband and I was, you know, moving from being a victim into a survivor and thriver, I had mental health issues because I had to relearn who I was and and strip myself of the lies that my ex had poured into me that I began to believe. And so I would like to say, one, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, Two, um, please ask for help. Yes. Let talk to someone yes. if it's a best friend, if it is uh, your friend's parent, if it's someone that you perceive to be a confidant, like there is nothing wrong in saying, hey, I need some help. Mm-hmm. 
And and what I've learned is by being honest with yourself, like I just ended up doing yes. with you, <laughs> um, it. it gives other people permission, permission. to be honest too. Mm-hmm. And and the more that you share what's going on with you in a, in a safe space, you're going to learn that you're not alone. Yes. So many of us are struggling in our in our mentalities and. And so it's just our society has put these stigmas on it where we feel like we have to live in silence, um, isolated and in shame. And there's nothing to be ashamed about. And, um, you know, you hear a saying, it's like the truth shall set you free. If you were suffering in silence, then you can't be free. You can't be liberated. You can't get the resources that you need to be balanced and healthy and thriving. And and if you're silenced, you don't even give the opportunity for your community to come around you and love on you. And so I would just say um, there's nothing wrong with needing help. You're not alone. And we got you. And your community's got you. And even if you don't have the strongest community, by being open with the right folks, Mm -hmm. Like, you'll get your community. Yes. You'll get the people who are really for you. That's so powerful. And I honestly, my intention for today is that who I know that there's there's someone out there that needed to hear that. And yeah. that's really going to change their lives. So mm. thank you. Absolutely. Um, You have been very forthcoming and upright and honest about the obstacles that you faced in your life. Um, is there one obstacle or challenge that you have overcome that you are the most proud of yourself for Mm. and that you would be willing to share with our audience yeah (laughs) (laughs) these questions are so deep to me Jackie (laughs) they keep making me have to pull that transparency (laughs) thing right Mm. because it's so funny like I'm out here doing a lot but for most of my life I was hidden Mm -hmm. For most of my life, I I felt overlooked, forgotten, second best, maybe not even second. Um, And so a a recent obstacle that I'm still overcoming, but I've come a long way is around imposter syndrome. Oh, wow. And and imposter syndrome is essentially this internal belief that um, people are going to realize that you don't know what the heck you're doing. (laughs) You're going to be found out. That's me. You're I'm always like, they're going to find me out. Like, right, yeah. right. <laughs> or that you're unworthy of your success yes. or you minimize oh, your yeah. impact or you're like, all right, well, I better ride this wave <laughs> as it comes because soon people aren't going to give a, you know, a heck about me, you know, like that's tied to imposter yes. syndrome yes. and, and that's something although people call it imposter syndrome now, like growing up, there was a deep internal belief that like, I thought I had something to give, but when people continuously overlook you or speak the opposite over you, eventually you're like, well, maybe I don't have anything to to contribute. Yeah. Yeah, You start to believe it. You start to believe the lies Mm -hmm. that are not truth, but they become your truth and they impact how you show up and how you move and how you navigate life And so I felt like I was always in a position of striving, 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 and trying to prove that I had something valuable to give. And it showed up in relationships. It showed up in my profession. It showed up in my self-talk. It showed up in so many ways. And so that's a challenge that's been a, a lingering cloud from the time I was young until now. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say, you know what? I've conquered it. Right. It's like, I'm there. right. But I can say, Hey, I'm better than what I was. Yes. yes. And, um, yes. and then bit by bit, I can just speak truth to that nagging little annoying voice and, and remind myself of who I am and remind myself of who God says I am. And, um, and then one day, hopefully it's not there anymore. But right now, that little voice is still there on my little shoulder, like, like get off my shoulder. I know. So, I, yeah. For so many of us, right? Yeah. And I, and and the truth is, I mean, the real truth is, is that it's it's been within you all along, right? Like right. The, it's, it's always been inside you. We just have to kind of silence that negativity, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and then surround yourself, like when you're growing up, so talking to youth now, Growing up, there's so many things Ugh. you can't control. Yeah. You can't control what family you're born into. Mm-mm. Can't control what parents you have or don't have. Mm-hmm. You can't control how much money you have access to or don't. You can't control what your school district is. You can't control. I mean, we could go oh, on and go on, on, right? And, right. But eventually, you can control who has access to you. Yeah. Eventually, you can control who you surround yourself with. And so for me, when I started to when when I started having friends who were truly for me, mm-hmm. they would call the gold out of me even when I had forgotten it was there. And yes. I think there's like power to that, like to have friends who are like I know life might be kicking your butt right now, Marissa, but this is actually who you are. This is is what you're capable of. And then you can be that voice to your other people. And so eventually, young person out there, you can control your community. You can control um, who's to your left and who's to your right. So, yeah. Oh, powerful. Such powerful stuff. Seriously. Thank you. I need to put her in my back pocket, okay? If I had a Jackie everywhere. Every day. Hey, I'm ready to go. I'm like, hey, are we going to Jamaica? I'll babysit the kids. I was like, when are we going, sis? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely amazing. Um, So this question is like kind of a big one. And we're moving into into the new year, right? We're kind of ending 2022. But like you have done... I mean, we just got done talking about imposter syndrome, but you have already accomplished so much. Are there some goals? Are there some dreams that you are looking forward to in the future, my dear? Like, are you that there is like a promise on your life? Like, what are we praying, hoping, believing? What 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 are they? What what are what are some of your goals? Tag on, Jackie. We just <laughs> talked about this, right? Well, for what's, one, what's your five year plan? Right, <laughs> right. Tag on it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot that was in there. <laughs> You're fine. Well, but for those who are wondering why the heck we're sitting here laughing, I literally just talked with her about like so. I shared a little bit today. Like I had this. Okay. So here was my plan. Y'all my plan was I would be an educator for five years. Okay. For 10 years at a minimum, Mm -hmm. I would be a principal. Yeah. After 10 years, I would then step into the position of a superintendent and then I would retire a superintendent. Okay. That's the dream. That was, I mean, that that's for all of us. Okay. 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 Well, that was my dream. That was my I don't know, 30 plus year goal. Right. And then, but again, my scope of what I had access to, like 
what I could even dream was so limited based on what I who I didn't see. I didn't see black women. I had never even seen a black woman as a superintendent. So right. that at that point seemed really like far what? reaching. Sure. Yeah. And I didn't even know about nonprofits and I was very <laughs> successful in my previous role in a nonprofit. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And and then I sure as heck didn't see me in county government. <laughs> Trust <laughs> and believe that. And so it's like I, I mean, I guess there is no lofty goal right now. It's like I want, I have a goal of giving my heart permission to freaking dream. Yes. Like I want to have permission. Yes. Yeah. Like I don't want to have limitations on what yeah. I'm capable of. I don't want to have limitations on what's possible. I just want to be so soundly self-aware that when opportunities come or if I create them I can always like look at myself and say is this in alignment with your purpose is this in alignment with your skills is this in alignment with the trajectory of your life and so right now I'm just wanting to give my heart permission to dream that's a goal that's a I think that's a a legit goal that is the best yeah. That's the best five-year plan I've ever heard. Thank you. You're welcome. So hopefully in five years, when we come together again, I can tell you where the heck I'm going. That's right. <laughs> no, you're good. That's yeah. so hilarious because we just talked about that. Um, before we kind of wrap things up, I do have to say I'm very intentional about who comes on this program, and I'm very intentional about who is able to tell their story to this audience because I believe that the children's whose lives that we will touch with the transparency and the authenticity that you shared today, I think it's going to make dramatic, like life transforming changes. Mm. That's, that's my prayer. That's my intention. And I think of you not only as a friend, Marissa, but also as a mentor and someone that like, I just can't wait to see like what you do. I just cannot wait. That's how I feel about you. (laughs) Y'all should see how I I just looked at her when she said those words. Cause I mean, but again, it's your circle because you are amazing. Well, and you are too. And I feel like, um, I feel like the more that, like you said, we pour into each other and, and we'll see everybody fly, right? Yes. There's room for all of us at there the end is. of the finish line. There's we room. are not competitors. No, no. Like, we are each other. Like, yes. when you win, I win. <laughs> when right. I win, you win. Like, that's, that's right. how I see it. <laughs> that's me, too. So, yeah. Um, I just can't thank you enough for being with us here today. I do want to follow up with this. I said this before. Marissa is a phenomenal keynote speaker. She is uh, absolute, uh, in, in in my opinion, and so many others. She is an expert in the DEI space. Um, if you are a company, company, a school, and organization. Um, I want to get your contact information out there where people can follow you on social media, um, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have a hard time keeping up with her though. Cause she is like everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> how are you two, three places at once? Like, please do get me like that. Like that's a magic trick right there. No, that's you're, funny. you're going to have a lot of fun following her. Um, so yeah. So where can our viewers kind of follow you and, and, you know, follow your journey? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn, of yes, course. Yes. Marissa Hatab, H A T T A B. That's how you spell my last name. Um, also, I'm on Facebook. Also on TikTok. Boom, boom, boom. Yes. Instagram, Marissa <laughs> Lucinda. Um, yeah. So I'm on all those different social social media um, platforms, but I check regularly my LinkedIn and Facebook the most. 
Awesome. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, Marissa, it's just been such an honor and a pleasure. Um, I know that your story, uh, just just the person that you are, the journey that you've had, um, is going to make such a life changing difference in so many in so many children's lives. And I can't thank you enough for your friendship um, and for your leadership in this community. Um, and honestly, I believe eventually, like around the world. So okay, um, that's we're putting we're putting we're speaking it into okay. we're putting it out there. Okay. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. For for entrusting me to share this space and to share my story. Like, seriously, I really mean it. I think so highly of you. I mean, anyone who's following this podcast, you all know how amazing she is. She's a beautiful gem. (laughs) And um, I'm just grateful. Thank you. I'm grateful. I'm I'm very, very grateful for you. Um, And we are going to do a quick shout out to our sponsors. So thank you to the Nebraska Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, for their support. We could not do this without you. and we would just say to anyone out there um, that that is that is fighting, that is dealing with mental health, that is dealing with suicidal ideation. Um, we need your love and we need your light in this world. Um, and just just keep going. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Education with an Edge. This is Jaquel Lane signing off. If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to JaquelLane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Huda Media Production.